0: Hi.
1: Hey, what's up? This is actually my first time being live on Facebook. Uh,
0: I can tell you that when I first did it, it was super intimidating. I felt really weird about it, but now I'm I'm much more comfortable. So thanks for being here. Uh, I'm gonna do my little housekeeping notes and then I'm gonna jump into your thorough, thorough bio, which I love everything about. Um, Hey, everybody who's here, uh, whether you're live with us now or whether you're watching the replay, thanks for being here. This is the People First, Then Profit uh, live series. Today, I'm chatting with DJ Shelby Hahn, uh, who is a Dallas Fort resident just like me. And um, man, Shelby has some credentials that I'm gonna read because I didn't have time to memorize. Shelby attended Western Kentucky University where she got her bachelor's degree and master's degree in social work. uh, Bachelor's and master's degree, let's point that out. After graduating, she worked as a targeted case manager and worked in trauma-focused, cognitive-behavioral therapy with children in rural Kentucky. Shelby, when we have more time, you can tell me a little bit about what that is, because that sounds impressive. Shelby relocated to Dallas-Fort Worth in 2015 and has worked um, a program therapist with the intensive outpatient program of a psychiatric hospital. And then she now work as a services coordinator for children up to 21 with mental disabilities. Uh, the depth and breadth of Shelby's work in both Kentucky and Dallas have honed her skills in rural and urban social work. Uh, So before I get into the remainder, thank you for doing the hard work.
1: Oh, yeah, I
0: love it. uh, You must have a really, really big heart. And in fact, I know you have a really big heart. So thank you for doing the hard work. In addition, Shelby started DJing in 2013, which interestingly enough, he said you do love music, but it's more about the vibe of the room, which I love. Uh, the way that you can control a party, and did so with certain wild abandon. She's provided DJ and MC services for wedding receptions, award banquets, parties, fundraisers, and school dances. Since moving to Dallas, she's been working alongside and learning from her mentor, DJ Rod Baker, and you know I love him, previously a guest on this, uh, for over a year, and is considered an invaluable part of the DFW Party's team. If he didn't know that already, I'd be telling him that right now. So I'm glad that he recognizes uh so thanks for being here um before i turn it over to you i guess uh my one of my favorite anecdotes that i actually just talked to rod about and you and i haven't chatted about this yet i saw you know when you're do- doing corporate parties and things like that you go by dj shelby Hahn. but when you're doing more sort of like fun parties after parties things like that you go as dj solo which yeah. I didn't realize at the time harkens back to your days, which we're going to get into of, of roller derby because Han Solo, star Wars, huge star Wars fan. It, it didn't compute right away. I was literally looking at some of your content and I was like, DJ solo. That's cool. Like, wait a minute, DJ Han, DJ Han Solo. No way. So <laughs> that was sort of an epiphany for me. Uh, and I love that more importantly, uh, sort of about today's content, one of the main reasons that you're here and willing to chat with me is because you're a lesbian and a proud member of the LGBTQIA community. So that's, that's real. That's, that's a thing. Uh, so thank you for being here. Uh, and we're going to dig right in. So you and I have chatted, I think three or four times since we talked about doing this last week, because it was really important to us that we, found a way to celebrate and discuss Pride since it's June, and June is Pride Month, without overshadowing what's going on in the nation with Black Lives Matter. And we're gonna do the best we can today to both discuss Pride, but amplify the lives, uh, uh, the voices of the Black Lives Matter movement. So let's just uh, dig right in with you, Shelby. Uh, tell, tell, tell our viewers uh, part of your story, all of your story.
1: And to be honest, during the last few conversations we've had um, over Zoom, I don't I don't tell my story very often, um, and I have not to many people, um, less than ten. So this is not only this makes me nervous. Uh, honestly, it's a little I would say terrifying, but um, yeah, this is a it, it's very personal to tell. Um, The story of how you decide to live the way you want to live. So very, very quickly and a lot more concisely than we've discussed because I go off on tons of tangents. That's okay. Yeah. um, I think most gay people, queer people kind of know who they are around probably age 12-ish you know, as you're coming into puberty or whatever, and people start talking about crushes, all this stuff. So when people ask me, when did you know? I mean, probably around age 12-ish, 11 maybe, but um, I'm from a pretty conservative background. Everyone in my family's military, everyone in my family's Southern Baptist.
0: Um, So that's the perfect place for a young LGBTQIA person to grow, right?
1: Wonderful. So I grew up all over the place until prior age 14 or so. We settled in Kentucky, which is where my family is actually from, from. Um, so I grew up in central Kentucky, basically. Um, knew I never, knew I was never attracted to boys, um often at like (laughs) at like uh sleepovers you know girls would go around like who do you have a crush on truth or dare blah 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 it'd get to me and i'm like palms are sweaty like (laughs) pick someone up think of a boy who's not gross but also not like uh, too obvious Uh, like pick someone they're not gonna talk to so i just uh, ryan somebody i don't know and then they pass over me and i'm like oh lord um didn't date in high school didn't wasn't interested in it because um, i knew i i'm from a town of 2000 like oh my gosh in kentucky when someone asks you where you're from you say the county you don't say the town um so i'm from larue county there's okay. one graduated with a hundred something kids um you know it's primarily like people Road, there was tobacco. People grew tobacco on our land and soy and all this stuff. There's not that many people anyway, um, not very diverse. Had a great high school experience though, because you know, I wasn't out, I didn't come out, so I, I wasn't beat up or ridiculed. I just played with so, my
0: friends. I'm going to interject there, though, because we had this conversation, and one of the things that I love about you is your strength of character, and we, uh, we talked a little bit about your humility, which is it seems to be a really common thread, uh, the people I have the pleasure of chatting with on this, because I found Chris to be the same way last week, and, and Rod when I chatted with him, but you say you had a fine uh, upbringing, you had an okay uh, high school experience, but we talked about the fact that because of the upbringing, because of the pressures and the stresses, even if you knew, you lost out on a lot of stuff. So you, you gained a lot of things and you, you looked at it on the optimist side, but it's fair to say though, that in high school you chose not to date because you, you weren't interested in boys. You weren't attracted to boys. You but so that meant you just couldn't date.
1: Right. Yes. So essentially I guess, yeah, I I did. I missed out on, you know, crushes and having butterflies and um, liking someone so much, but uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I did miss out on all that. I was very fortunate though, to be athletic. I was in all the sports. I was in all the clubs. I was, um, in, I was a treasure of art club, like name the club. I was in it, even in college. Like my friends would laugh at me. I would pick up intramural sport list. I'd, we're, I'm like, we're doing them all. Geology <laughs> <I'd, laughs> the club, name the club. I've gone to it <laughs> or been a part of it. So I've, I'm very good at filling my time and being, you know, being pretty active.
0: So if I remember, uh, Shelby, just to, to kind of guide the conversation, if I remember you had been in, in, in school, you had been um, educating yourself, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and it wasn't until you moved to, to the Dallas area uh, based on some shifts in your life that didn't pan out. You were like, okay, I, I was going to do this shift. It didn't work out. I'm moving to Dallas. And it was there that you joined the roller derby group and started to meet people that were self-identified queer folks that were living out and proud that really had the biggest impact on you.
1: Yeah, so actually I joined roller derby in 2012, 2011 back in Bowling Green with Vet City Roller Derby and started meeting queer women. so not only just seeing Ellen DeGener- Generous on TV or seeing Glee or whatever on TV, I was actually forming relationships, friendships, um, some of the best women I know and will always remember their names as like women I looked up to. So I got to see their lives lived out happily, safely the um, At this time, I was still very involved as I mentioned very involved in the church, very involved. I led Bible studies. I know the Bible pretty well. I've mm-hmm. been in youth orchestra, played the trumpet, high school band. I played um, bass guitar. I played lead guitar, rhythm guitar for a bunch of different praise bands. And um, so, throughout joining roller derby, being a part of the church, living, I don't want to say two lives, because I was essentially the same person. But um, the whole while trying to date, guys, for weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Everything ended maybe at week two, week three. I'm like, we date. <laughs> Next, man, that one didn't do it for me, or blah, blah, blah. Um, yes, so uh, tried to join the army back in 2015, tried to direct commission as a social worker. That didn't pan out. Um, I've tried to do a lot of different things Glad that didn't work out. That was actually the catalyst for me moving to Dallas area. Um, Got to, you know, transferred my social work license to Texas so that I could practice therapy here. All the while, I've done DJing on the side for friends' weddings, roller derby after parties primarily. Um, uh, Middle school dances, stuff like that in Kentucky, but it was like once a month or something um house parties at, you know downtown sure. uh, moved here after the army not panning out Joined, you know transferred to dallas roller derby um instantly met met cindy
0: and cindy is
1: cindy your fiance.
0: fiance thank you okay i know you and i know cindy but others don't so cindy's your fiance recently so, so congratulations
1: um yeah fast forward to 2016 we met like we met day one of me joining roller derby because i got transferred to her team and it was just like we got along we had crap to to talk about instant attraction to each other um everything just fell into place and i had a reason to not hide I guess anymore mm-hmm. whereas it was like why would I come out or deal with this if there's not someone I'm doing that for because mm-hmm. it was because of my background and my family and blah 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 um, there was just too much to lose now at this point I meet somebody that I never cared about anyone like this in my entire life I didn't know I had the ability to fall in love I prayed for it. I have prayer journal on prayer journal on prayer journal. Begging God, like crying on my knees, like maybe I'm, you know, maybe I, I'm i going to live a life of singleness, which some people say they're called to. Deep down, I knew I was not called to that life. Um,
0: I'm glad you pointed that out, Shelby, because um, when we talked about this, You are such an unbelievable optimist and you have so much strength and courage in your soul and what i'm hearing is it was sort of you didn't pray to find the right person you prayed for the god that that you were so rooted in to make you attracted to a boy or to take away the attraction that you had for a girl Right. yes which which is it's such a powerful thing to think about because you were indoctrinated into to religion from birth until the, the days you were writing those things. And so for someone to be praying for something so desperately, and then it's such a joyful feeling to think that it was the love that you started to feel for Cindy and the bond that you two shared that finally sort of gave you the ability to be like, this is just is, This is just what it is. Um, like wow
1: did God answer my prayer like I felt that and then I was torn but, but my parents have always told me it's wrong but everybody in the church has always told me that homosexuals go to hell what but I've been praying for this thing this tangible thing that now is in front of me and it's not lust and it's not dirtiness and it's not all these you know things it's like fully realized like I'd love to where you would want you be like, I joke, I'm like, i would take a bullet for you, but I legitimately would because sure. I, you know, I love her more than anyone. Um, so, so I was given this thing, but then I'm like torn, like, okay, I can have this life that I've always prayed for at the expense of losing everyone <laughs> in my family who I do love and respect and, I have no harsh words to say about my parents who raised me. I mean, they did a wonderful job. I mean, they were just good parents. I'm very blessed to have them. But I knew like at the moment I come out to them, I will lose them. You said I'm an optimist. I'm also very realistic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't, my optimism comes from like, I think it's good to put good energy out there. Um, cause if you just think like, oh, it's never going to work, then it's not going to work. Sure. Uh, but I knew them enough. I know my parents very well. I came out to them over Skype because we we're 800 miles away and it went as bad as I, th- I knew it would go. It was worst case scenario. It was crying and screaming and uh, this is wrong. And I, God, why? And blah, blah, blah. And, um, that was five years ago and it's not gotten better. There is hashtag it gets better. Um, my life, yeah, you know, I grieved for a long time. I did the process. So I have gotten better, but sometimes it doesn't get better. Sometimes families do not come around and people tell oh, wait, wait, wait. It's been five years. They've only gotten more into their opposition. They've only gotten stronger and not that thing, and they told me they won't make her. Yada yada yada. So I've lost a large chunk of my blood family, which is a, is an interesting thing about our community. The LGBTQIA plus, we aren't raised by our community. We have to learn be a part of this community and what our history is and what it means to live a fully realized life and a healthy life and a productive life through other adults that have gone through the pain and um, they looking it up online. Like I'm glad I'm living in a time now where I can find resources online, watch film, watch but. We weren't raised by gay people, so (laughs) we had to figure that out and create our own culture.
0: I never thought of that. I never thought about that, Shelby. So, um, if I may, I just want to, I know this is, these conversations. (laughs) No, these aren't the right words, but I have to say them, and that's that I'm sorry. Um, You and I talked about this in advance. I it breaks my heart that anybody's choice of love comes at an expense. Um, And if I, the people on this that are watching me, um, they know that there's a few people in my life uh, that are women that are most important. You know, my mom, my sister, my wife, if, if at any point someone told me like, Hey Don, I'm sorry to tell you this, but at this very moment, you're going to have to choose between your mom and your sister and your wife. I, I have no idea what I would do. I don't know. I mean, I would have to say that I would be true to to me, and just try to 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 decide what would allow me to live the life that I know is the truest. But I'm just sorry because that's it's frankly it's it's BS and it's heartbreaking and nobody should have to go through that. So I'm sorry. Um, but the other thing that you said that's yeah, well and. I hate the words I'm sorry because it's like I'm apologizing for someone else but at the same time
1: like it sucks it just yeah sucks.
0: it does uh, but moving on to the the realization is you weren't raised by a, a a set of gay parents and so there's this striking realization to me that you, you have to I don't want to say learn how to be gay but you like the culture and the the norms and the interactions—they—they they, you get them from your family, as Tara pointed out in the comments, which I love, right? Your chosen family. Um, so, okay, so let's. Uh, so you you came out uh, at an unbelievable sacrifice, which takes strength and courage. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we we look at history and and walk through that history?
1: Um, I want to point out that yeah the reason I'm not being accepted by family is largely due to theology but that's not the only the only churches that are out there there are a lot of very inclusive um, they name themselves all inclusive or accepting or a lot of churches in this area that are wonderful and that Cindy and I have gone to the church off 287 called Galileo Church that's wonderful and inclusive of not only gay people but trans and um, gender non, you know, non-binary, all the, all the above. So that's not the only church.
0: (laughs) Sure. And I think that's an important point because unfortunately, because of the deep rooted Southern Baptist ideals that your family are, are are ingrained in your, your family's religion and your lifestyle are uh, mutually exclusive, but your statement is that religion and living an LGBTQIA+ lifestyle can be can be a marriage, for lack of a better, terrible analogy, right? Like you you can live those lives in parallel. And
1: um, my lifestyle is really no different than my lifestyle before. <laughs> like, sure. you know that there is a gay lifestyle. You know, sure. um, I watch Netflix a lot. I read I read a lot. Um, cook, I dance around the living room. And I did all these things before I was out.
0: <laughs> so so um, educate me. What, uh, what would be a better word? Because I guess what I meant by that word, which is, is somewhat. I knew,
1: I knew what you meant. Um, no, I
0: but... yeah. But, and, and I guess what I'm trying to say is is whenever you choose to live a truth where you admit that you're either attracted to this person, the same sex, or you don't live on the gender binary, whatever it is, and you, and you, you live that truth. Is there a better way to say it? Or do I just have to stumble through it awkwardly just like I did?
1: You do. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> honestly, I think it's different for everybody. I'm sure
0: okay.
1: the word queer is um a, is offensive to some, um, mm-hmm. whereas people accept it. I think I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any right or wrong, but the only reason I said it is because my dad had said, life he had said lifestyle as mm-hmm. if I had like automatically started wearing rainbow capes and like... <laughs> out or something or
0: sure you know. yeah they use it as a derogatory which of course wasn't my intention um just to hit the comments before we go um jennifer says she's happy you moved here um a lot of hellos and highs a lot of parts shelly hahn which i assume is a relation of yours maybe says that she's proud of you and we love that your strength and we love you so much Bye. um jennifer Conan, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Is is being says you're being your authentic self, and Lance says Shelves with a Z at the end. So apparently, another fun nickname for you, oh, DJ yeah. Solo. Okay. Um, first of all, I had no idea that I was like the tenth person to hear your story. Um, so,
1: uh, I'm ish. Even-
0: yeah, I don't know. Well, and and. We talked about that too, that it seems like for some reason it's ex- expected if you're LGBTQIA+, you're supposed to walk in and be like, hi, like you're, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a this, like you're supposed to apologize for yourself. And yep. Yep. Yeah. Not, and that's not fair. So uh, it, I guess um, I'm humbled and honored that you, you shared your story with me. And I very much appreciate you sharing your story here, because when we first talked about it, we started talking about the power of pride and Black Lives Matter and amplifying voices. But in doing this, I recognized that people will resonate most, it will resonate most with people when there's a narrative behind it and a story behind it, and you were willing to share. And so thank you for that. Um, so when we first started talking about this and what's going on in the world today, we said it makes the most sense to go back to New York City, June 1969, which was the birthplace of the Stonewall riots and a variety of other happenings. Do you wanna just kind of narrate that a little bit? What happened in 1969, what it led to, and what the, what the outcome was?
1: Yeah, for sure, and and weirdly, um, as many things as you can watch or read, the story of I guess, that day, June 28th of 1969, is told so many different ways. I mean, essentially it was a part, I mean, people were partying at a bar, like you can't remember all the facts, who threw what, what happened, Ultimately, Stonewall Inn was was a bar in New York City that catered to gay um, queer people. Bars at the time were not issued liquor licenses if they <laughs> catered to gay people. So those bars, and uh, that one in particular was run by the mafia because they didn't care. Like they want their money um, with the police, blah, blah, blah. So the police would often come in and around if you weren't wearing three articles of women's clothing if you were a woman broke out so basically don't look like a homosexual if you're if a man was dancing maybe a slow dance with another man you got arrested pulled out it was illegal to pretty much be gay unless you were hiding it in your own house and even then it was um but they, you know, you want a community. None of these people had, they moved to New York city because it was like heaven. Like they could find other people like them. Um, yeah, they had to go hide in their apartments or bars underground, but they had each other. A lot of these people were homeless. A lot of these people were, um, trans. Um, they called themselves transvestites at the time. I know we don't use that term and a lot don't anymore, but at that time, um, they're women um, which were largely at the, at the brunt of all the police brutality because they were the most obviously gay. And I know we talked about that before. Yes, I've had some personal issues with my family and that kind of stuff, but as a white lesbian cisgender, like I present as the sex that I was given at birth, um, I don't walk into stores and people are like lesbians. Like I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't present, and I'm not that outward with that. I'm sure. um, wearing my RuPaul shirts and stuff. Like everybody's a fan of drag. The women and the men who were arrested and brutally hurt by police at the time were dyke um, lesbians. and They called themselves that. They were the, the drag queens, the transvestites, the ones that were obvious. They were being on like hurt their bodies were beat um on June 28th it was another police right it was like no other day like a day like any other day please come in I think it was probably just like all the people and they were like in like no we're tired of this yep um, they fought back and they fought back at they did not sit down with their mouths closed and say, please, please don't hurt us. They like punched them and kicked them. And,
0: and I, if, if, from from the little bit of research I did, um, I mean, I, I, I wanted to put out, I, I had the pleasure of visiting Stonewall and I went to the park there on Christopher Street that is now a national landmark as identified by President Obama in 2016. Um, it's It's both a... <laughs> Is both a, um, a very heart moment for me, and at the same time, we we did sort of joke around about the fact that this was a dive bar run by the mafia in the 1960s, and it hasn't changed much since ownership has changed. It's above board. It has a liquor license. But when I went there and I sat in the park and I looked at the monument, and then I went into the Stonewall, I went, this is kind of a hole. Like, this is a dive bar, big-time dive bar. And that's true to its roots. And I, I told you they have a two drink minimum and the drinks were not inexpensive, uh, which I was happy to pay uh, to, to experience that. But um, it, it is interesting because it's not so much the Stonewall Inn or even the Stonewall Riot, when people finally said like, you guys are, I'm, we're tired of this. Hundreds of people sort of participated in this uprising. But let's talk about what came from that that really did impact change going forward.
1: Yeah, so that was, like, it set it off. There were um, at least five days of rioting, looting, (laughs) violent protests against the police. This Mm was not, like, a gay, happy, glittered flag time. Mm -hmm. This was in direct opposition to police brutality, which is mirroring in some ways what we're seeing today. Um, So I just want to remind any queer person that's not understanding riots and looting, it happened then and things changed. Um, The Gay Liberation Front literally was born out of the ashes of all this crap that was burned, destroyed. The Gay Liberation Front ultimately did a lot of activism towards our rights. Um, But the riots, and I also want to point this out because it's extremely important not to whitewash gay history. Like, because the people on the margins are who ultimately were the ones getting physically beat. They weren't people that looked like me. Mm -hmm. not being oppressed back then. The riots were led by black and brown trans and folk and that's they're the reason we have lgbt rights, lgbtqia rights today so i and i hope that we it's it's so heartbreaking to me the just the hate that trans people um especially trans people of color get by our own community um and
0: so, I, so let's let's No, uh, no, no. no. I absolutely want to touch on that. So literally what you are identifying is that in the LGBTQIA plus community, it's almost like now at the moment, trans people are having to fight for their rights, even in that community. So not even society at large, they're Mm -hmm. literally having to justify and warrant. And I, I told you a sort of anecdote when I was talking about gender and being cisgendered versus uh, transgender, and uh, an actual friend of mine who's gay said, like, what's cisgendered versus transgender? I said, well, cisgendered is when you identify with the gender that you've been assigned at birth and your anatomical gender. And the response is kind of like, oh, Lord, like, I don't have time for that, which is, which is disheartening to a degree, right? Because uh, a straight person might have said that about a gay person as soon as yesterday or today, And they're continuing to fight for their rights. So that's a really valid point you bring up, that they're not only fighting in society, but the trans uh, folks, especially trans folks of color, are, I mean, they're marching uphill in the snow with weight. Like, it's an awful battle they're having to fight.
1: Yeah, these people are dying. They are, trans folks of color especially, are imprisoned at a higher rate and not in, in male prisons where they're getting raped, mm-hmm. they're by guards, raped by guards. So a lot of times in order to protect them, they're put in um, the shoe, solitary, uh, what are they? Called? Confinement, they put- yeah. Whatever. The Freaking UN says that solitary confinement any over 15 days is torture. These women are women are put in there for months. Six, some I've read stories six months of just being in a damp, cold room hearing screams is torture. And often they're put in the prisons because they're prostitutes or it's drugs. Can you imagine like being not only beat down by society for who you are because you've been kicked out of your home at 15? Where are you going to work? You're, you're brought in by other people of your in your community and you're taught to live and survive the only way you know how. Mm-hmm. And you're punished for that because society puts you there. That's so try not to curse. That's real crappy.
0: It, <laughs> and it, it's, it's like a preordained destination. They have no they really are rendered no choice. And, and I would like to take this moment um, as a parent. As a father and one of the reason that that part of your story is so heartbreaking for me is because of a, being a husband a son and a brother but um my god i'm just trying to get emotional um my daughter could not say anything to me i this is the way i phrase it short of telling me that she killed a person just for the pleasure of watching them die my daughter couldn't tell me a single thing that would make me love her or care for her or protect her a molecule less. And so I will never understand anything, religion, uh, any other belief that would make you love your child any less than you do the day they're born. Um, and so I just want to put that out into the world. And I am just not ashamed to say it. I will shame any parent that gives me any reason why they can't love a particular child short of the one i said earlier. So, uh Rod put in the comments that you're amazing and i agree with him. Um your humility sees no bounds and your strength and courage is phenomenal. So let's um
1: and uh, the, i brought i bring that up because i just i want to be very intentional with i don't want the focus to be on people that look like me. Yeah. Even in- Trans women of color are my community. Mm -hmm. People that look like me should be bringing them up. And it's just so heartbreaking, the pain that so many of them go through. I've listened to lots of interviews, even back during the Stonewall riots, Sylvia Rivera, one of the um, trans women who were at the upper, there's footage of her speaking at one of the, I don't know if it was the, the first Pride, was being booed by um a lot of gay white men off stage they didn't know they did not want to claim her like mm-hmm. i'm watching footage of booze and booze and she's up there like y'all should be ashamed of yourself i was i am fighting for your rights and my rights this mm-hmm. is us. Yep. and we are being so shitty towards her she's like i've been beat for you all. I've been raped for you all. Like, and you're not even letting me speak. yeah, it's just actually, I can't believe it, but it's sad that I can believe it. It's just so awful. But, um, I'll bring up some like documentaries and stuff later.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll talk about resources um, and we'll post those in the comments because I know it's hard for people to jot them down. But one of the things that, again, I'm I'm so uh, impressed by is is not only your knowledge, but after we talked about it, all the research you did. So I would love to, we'll share that with everybody. We've done, um, we've kind of touched on the next question uh, pretty kind of around the perimeter. So let's let's do this quickly so we can move on to sort of uh, our parallels between Pride and Black Lives Matter. But we had talked about doing that old literary thing that we used to do in school where we kind of compare and contrast. Um, and When you compare and contrast the, um, the injustice, the inequality, the protest, then the riots and the looting of 1969 and, and so on to today. It's something we're living through right now. There's a lot of parallels there, isn't there? I mean...
1: Yes, because pride was, um, is, or whatever, will always be um, a protest and riot, riot, not a peaceful sinning, from police brutality. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was that. That's how it started. So to celebrate pride, we have to also celebrate Black Lives Matter um, and the protests and the riots that are happening now. Um, I have no place and would I ever dare criticize the riots Mm -hmm. that are happening now or how they're happening. Mm -hmm. People like me were not beat down by police. I have anger for my brothers and sisters in my community and in other communities who were, but, um, I, I can't understand that, but I will stand with that, the anger that they feel.
0: So, so I just, let me ask you a quick question, because I think that you and I are aligned on this, but we don't have to be. Um, you said basically that you're not going to um, disparage the riots in any way, because that seems to be what has affected change with that. I think we can agree that it's unfortunate that it needed to come to that. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, people protest peacefully and then people, uh, you know, I mean, we can just get it out there. Colin Kaepernick for two years or so tried to peacefully take a knee to bring attention to racial injustice and police brutality. And people hated him. He lost his job. And now the NFL has come out, and, and I think this is very interesting, the NFL has come out and said they were wrong.
1: Take him back for all the money he should have had. Is what needs
0: And means- and, well, and not only that, but they haven't even, I don't think, directly apologized to him. Roger Goodall made a very kind statement about the fact that they were wrong. He accepted responsibility, but nobody has come out and said, hey, Colin, we're so sorry that we were on the wrong side of history here and that you lost your job and the dream to play football. So so we can agree that it's unfortunate that it came to this, but one of the things I've found myself saying, Shelby, is when you have a wholly unfair, uh, illogical thing going on, oftentimes there has to be an unfair, illogical result or response. Otherwise, nothing changes. So... Um, we're not saying that the riots are a good thing by definition, we just hope that the good thing comes out of them, right?
1: Yeah. Um, obviously I don't want people to die. I mean,
0: I'm not,
1: no, none of us want anyone to die. That's, Mm -hmm. but, um, it just... I don't even know what my words are, but the protests then were not peaceful. The protests now, often I'm seeing that they are peaceful but they don't always end up that way.
0: Sure. Yes, yeah,
1: wants change to happen peacefully but oftentimes it cannot happen that way. Um, if police weren't being brutal towards citizens they're supposed to protect, violence wouldn't happen. So I don't think we need to blame the reaction. We need to blame the perpetrator. Yeah. Like if a woman's being raped, you're not, I mean, it's so, we know that you're not going to blame them for what they're wearing. You blame the person that did it, or you're not going to blame her for what she does after.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's an analogy. I'm glad that you made because it's taken a very long time, very long time. And I don't even think we're there yet. To yeah. To help some people understand, I mean, a woman is sexually assaulted in any way, some people, even to this day, mu- much less so, I hope, would say, well, what was she doing there and why was she wearing that? Would literally be their go-to. And so, um, it's people
1: that. To rape people. They yeah. Need- and how she wants to wear
0: <laughs> It's that type of mentality that I think oftentimes perpetuates this cycle. So we touched on it, and I'd like to share it, um, that there's a cyclical nature to this. and It seems like it takes a very abrupt, oftentimes unfortunate incident to break a cycle, right? We talked about injustice, inequality, and intolerance of people, whether it be because of their um, color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their gender assignment, whatever. From that comes repression, shame, fear, and persecution of those people, right? Like, and, and although you don't look outwardly like a lesbian and you haven't suffered the pangs and arrows of society at large, you suffered from repression, shame, fear, and persecution in, in the worst way because it was your tight-knit family, right? And then the result of that is uprising whether it be peaceful protests or not, and then those uprisings go to riots, and then riots develop into peace brutality, and then it either, there's some sort of abrupt thing that changes it, or it just goes, the circle starts again, so. Right.
1: So yeah, for, so for Stonewall and the gay movements back then, of course, there were lots of groups leading up to that. Um, Stonewall riots, or the Stonewall happening, was not the beginning of, you know, gay movement, um, mm-hmm. gay movement, but from guess, the ashes of Stonewall riots came the gay liberation front. Um, and they're, they they were not the first, but they really did a great job on organizing and being very active in pushing for gay rights. Um,
0: so that was the it was the break in the cycle, right? So the the riot in Stonewall. I mean, you can go back and look at history. There's a number of. I mean, people have been fighting for gay rights since the 1800s. I'm certain. I, I, I oh, Yeah, to... they, so, they, uh,
1: there were groups in like the late 1800s in Germany. I don't remember the name of them, but um, just like there have always been groups um, fighting for black lives, but black lives matter movement. <laughs> started in a culmination of all the, you know, people who have been killed but the hands of the police. Um, and that's uh, a great,
0: go ahead, finish. No, no,
1: go. I, don't, I, don't I was going to
0: say that is just an amazing segue because we talked about sort of, of of making a direct correlation between, um, I don't even want to say necessarily pride, right? The outcome is pride, but, but the Gay Liberation Front and, and, basically breaking the cycle, as I'd like to call it. Um, the, the Black Lives Matter first appeared after Trayvon Martin was, was killed in Florida. And I don't know as much about the history as you probably do. So let's say that if that was the breaking of the cycle with the police brutality or the sort of injustice and the unbelievable killing of, of African-American men largely, Where, how did that develop, where did it come from, and how is it sort of tied to to the LGBTQIA plus movement?
1: Yeah, um, so, yes, up until 2013, black people were, and have been, there's, I mean, there's story upon story, uh, and video evidence of cops killing black people, but in 2013, yeah, it was. Uh, it was in response to the acquittal of George Zimmerman, who mm-hmm. killed Michael Martin, and then later sold his gun for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You hear
0: that? And I did not hear that.
1: The whole anyway, response: So, three radical black organizers in twenty thirteen: Garza, Patrice Fullers, I'm sorry if I mispronounced last names. Sure. Um, so Alicia Garza, Patrice Concolors and Opal, um, um, created a black centered political will of movement, um, called black lives matter. And you saw that like at protests, then in 2013 hashtag black lives matter on signs. And it like was like a snowball into it's a member driven organization now, but, um, Because we're talking about Pride, I think it's extremely important for LGBTQIA to uplift Black voices right now. So I want to make sure, I don't know how many people know that Black Lives Matter and those three women um, wanted to create a space (laughs) and an organization that was led by women, queer, transgender people because... Historically, I guess, black liberation movements have created room, leadership, um, space for black, heterosexual, cisgender um, men, leaving Mm -hmm. transgender queer people either out of the movement or um, largely in the background to move the work forward, um, often getting little to no recognition. So these three women made a commitment to place those that were in the margins of society and the margins of our community closer to the center and closer to the front.
0: So I, I, I kind of buried the lead, Shelby. (laughs) Like we've, we've, we've led up to it, but I want to make, I'm, I want to put this up in billboard lights and exclamation points at the end. You're literally saying that black lives matters. The three originators.
1: Lives matter. Trans black lives matter. And,
0: and they're basically trying to say as, uh, African-American, queer women. We need to have a movement that is not just for heterosexual white, or excuse me, heterosexual black men. We need to liberate all black lives.
1: All black lives, trans black lives, queer black lives.
0: Literally the LGBTQIA plus movement came together with black liberation movement and said, let's just cover it all. Which is amazing mm-hmm. how that how that correlates because yeah. it seems like they're gonna follow very similar paths in efforts to break the cycle. So if anybody yeah. else is watching whose mind is blown, I knew where it came from, but I had never dug that deep and, and known that. So
1: Yeah, we owe we owe everything to queer black women, whether they were cisgender queer black women or trans black women. They shed their literal blood for us. And we don't need to be um, continuing to push them to the sides. It's awful. And I wanted to bring up, unless you have more to say on this. Nope. I wanted to up, Go ahead. Um, how I'm starting to learn and I'm a little, I'm not a little, I'm very ashamed that I was not more aware of how, queer, black, and trans black women have been treated by my community, um, largely in Dallas, not large, well, in Dallas. I can only speak to Dallas, cause I don't, there are only 16 lesbian bars in the entire United States, probably less now.
0: What's my name? What's
1: my name? Lesbian bars. One being in Dallas, Sue Ellen's, um, you know, I've been, um, I wouldn't say Cindy and I are frequenters of bars. Um, we like to go to bed early, like to get up early. I just, you know, mm-hmm. we like to go to bar, but we're usually gone by before midnight. <laughs> uh, anyway, if we were to choose a bar to go out to, like say tonight or whatever, um, Sue Ellen's would be the one we'd go to. You just feel comfortable. You don't have to worry about creepy, but creepiness. Um, you just feel comfortable. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm in space. So so I have a lot of privilege in saying, and I didn't know that, but I have a lot of privilege in saying that I have always felt comfortable at Sue Ellen's. Um, I'm learning and beginning to realize that not all queer women have felt comfortable at Sue Ellen's, um, largely trans women of color and and queer Black women. Um, I always looked around the crowd at Sue Ellen's, to me seemed very diverse, but just because a space is diverse doesn't mean that everyone in that space is treated the same by um, the people working there. I never personally saw anyone being mistreated. By me saying that doesn't mean I'm dismissing that it happened because um, Sue Ellen's recently issued some statements on um, getting rid of, I guess, uh, racist people that worked there and I'm, I'm reading in the comments. I'm not commenting because I'm right now I'm learning and taking in, I'm reading just account after account after account, hundreds of comments of like, as a black queer women woman or as a black trans person, good. Like I, like, I've, oh, I've been treated bad at Sue Ellen's or I've been treated this way. Or I've been treated that way. And then I'm also seeing people that look like me commenting, what? I go there all the time. I never saw that dismissing it totally because mm. so privileged view didn't see it. Yeah. Because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. We need to listen to the people that are being hurt by things.
0: We're in a place of considerable discovery, aren't we? Um, when things like this happens, when, when we upend um, what is considered normal uh, or what a certain harmoniousness, it, it is remarkable to me amount, the amount that I did not willfully um, be ignorant of. And, and, and I think that that's a really good qualifier. Somebody recently asked me, whether it be in person or on social media or whatever, like I'm seeing people that I know or in my industry saying things that are racist or, or uh, racist leaning covert or, um, or uh, obvious racism. How do I handle it? And, and my response was, if it's just straight up racist, then, then my unfortunate way of saying is you just got to drain the swamp. You don't need to be surrounded by people like that. You're not going to educate them. It's not your job to educate them, so I just eliminate it. If it's insensitive or it seems privileged, then I might engage because mm-hmm. there is a certain amount of of just ignorance that exists because you haven't been educated yet. And the minute you're educated, you're like, oh my gosh, right? So I think I've it's important to a
1: lot of that, like yeah, yeah, white people that are like never thought about it, but how wonderful that we've lived lives where we didn't have to think about it.
0: Yeah. at the same time, people are going to look at them and be like, how did you not know? Right. There's a lot. There's, there's so many different ways to look at it because it's your perception and your experience that drives what you do and don't see, or you do or don't experience. I think we have to look at people's heart and at people's intention. Right. And so, um, I like this discovery phase. It's, it's super uncomfortable, but that common phrase that people are using now, like, Hey, get super comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's the place I want to be. I want to be uncomfortable right now. And to your point, like I want to understand and appreciate what our brothers and sisters in all these communities have been going through so that we can affect change, right?
1: We have to be uncomfortable. We have to, yeah, no pain, no gain, right? hundred <laughs> percent. But I wouldn't say, dang it, my train of thought goes all over the place.
0: I love that because it's allowed us to really sort of, um, move and go. Um, yeah.
1: Real quick.
0: Yeah.
1: An idea that I heard someone say, and I wish I could, if I remember, I'll post it. Um, like I was taught all growing up and I'm sure anyone in the church is, um, in the Bible, it says, um, good fruit, uh, a good seed or a good tree. Good seed bears, good fruit, bad, mm-hmm. seed bears bad fruit. So to judge something, you need to judge them based on the fruit it's producing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think that's a perfect analogy. This country, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there was a lot of planted crappy little seeds. We are seeing the fruit of that. Yep. Um, the, the, the fruit that it's producing can't just change a tree or a plant or whatever can't just change the fruit that it's producing that tree needs to be ripped from the ground and something else needs to be planted and ripping a tree out is not peaceful and it's not nice and it's not fun and it hurts but i think that's what we're seeing right now is a lot of us are like oh wow this fruit is bad and other people are like we've been eating this fruit this whole time how are you just now seeing this mm-hmm. but Collectively, now we can be like, okay, let's rip up all these terrible plants. We have to, something has to completely flip and change. It's not just going to be like, "Uh, racism just went away. Like, so that apple tree just decided to start sprouting out peaches. That doesn't happen. It doesn't just change. Toby,
0: I knew I loved you already, but the fact that you painted the most unbelievable analogy and did so with a bible verse (laughs) blows my mind because i love analogies it's the most simplistic way of taking a complex uncomfortable mind-blowing scenario and breaking it down into its simplest ability like you can see well if this is an apple tree it's going to be an apple it's going to bear fruit that are apples and if we need peaches instead you can't fix the tree, you gotta uproot it and plant a peach tree. I mean, you, my friend, are brilliant.
1: Set it on fire, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, you, you have to dig it out or set it on fire. Rod Baker said, if you don't see it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. This. So yeah. I think he agrees with you, clearly. Um, so and I want to spend a few minutes because we're at 55 minutes and we have, we have yeah. some more time, which is great. Um, we have covered a lot. I hope that we've helped people discover some things I think your story and your narrative is clearly gonna resonate with both people in the LGBTQIA community, as well as people that are straight, cis, all that. What do we do now? Like what's the next step in both being an advocate, an ally, um, being anti-racist, being pro-people of color, pro-LGBTQIA community, what do we do? What's your recommendation?
1: yeah um we need to we need to educate ourselves first and foremost okay We all know how to google things <laughs> We know how to find sources if you don't know how to find sources um, reach out to me I like to read a lot of peer-reviewed articles and peer-reviewed research. I don't like to just get stuff from BuzzFeed and Um, Well, I like going to BuzzFeed and figure out which Friends character I am, but we need to be reading from academics and activists and people that have done their research, people that have done their homework and people who have lived. Um, So whether that research is reading journals, um, reading history books, we need to be watching documentaries and films um, because Right now, I can't go out and hang out with my community, your community, whatever, like our, you? so we need to, right now, as we're confined to, you know, our four walls, do, do the legwork now and learn the history. Um, one documentary that pops out in my head because I watched it recently, it's called Major with an exclamation point, M-A-J-O-R, and it's... Uh, Largely focused or solely focused on trans women and uh, just their daily struggles, their fight, their activism. Um, If I don't be ready to cry when you watch that, that just flipped my whole just total realization of, Oh my gosh, we're not lifting up black trans people and we should be because if we lift up the people that are always stomped to the bottom, then we all rise up. So I think watching documentaries, watching films, reading books written by people of color, um, queer people of color, trans people, um,
0: so, not,
1: not asking our trans people of color, black women, black men to be, don't ask them to educate us. Let's educate ourselves and do that emotional labor ourselves first. Yeah. Um,
0: so it's like you have your master's degree or something. Like, tell, to tell me that you should always kind of check your sources and make sure that they're credible and watch, and like read peer reviewed, that's just a great reminder that as great as the internet is and you can Google, it's so important to kind of verify your sources. Um, I love the documentary recommendation. I'd like to make a recommendation um, on the Black Lives Matter side of our conversation today. I was speaking with the incredibly sweet, talented, smart Amber Knowles yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that there's a book that is actually sold out right now. You can get it on Audible or probably as a Kindle book, but it's called White Fragility. Mm-hmm. I haven't had the pleasure of reading it yet, but she said it is very eye-opening. It's, it's, I think she said written by a white person sort of for the white audience to try to help them understand um, I absolutely love what you said about educating ourselves, and I want to ask you because I had the same conversation with Chris last week relative to conversations about race and racism. If we, as um, if we, as a society at large, whether whether you're inside the LGBTQIA+ population or not, if we educate ourselves. Do you advocate for them then starting a conversation? So instead of asking them to educate you, is it okay to like talk to your gay, bi, trans, queer, non-binary friend and be like, hey, I just want to talk to you about gender. I want to talk to you about your sexuality or Um, society.
1: If you're watching this, if you're friends with me, if you don't know me, I'm open to you. I don't want to speak for everyone um, because a lot of people are not in a – um, healthy mindset right now, and maybe they're not ready to do that, please reach out to me. I would love to have a conversation with you. Um, so I don't want to speak to reach out to every gay person, you know, sure. but well,
0: and I guess, I guess what I meant by that is there's a difference between asking someone to educate you and engaging in a conversation with them after you've educated yourself. That- I don't see the
1: problem with, Hey, can I take you out for a cup of coffee or, hey, can I Zoom you for 20 minutes, Um, you pick the time, you know, be okay if they say no, obviously, because it's a hard conversation to have. I'm lucky to have the background I do and to know about dealing with grief and know, um, how to, I don't know, I have a therapy background, so I'm very fortunate to um, understand when I have pain, you know, the tools to work through. I've got them in my tool belt. Not everybody has that. Um, So yes, educating yourself, but also, you know, not everybody can physically walk. I want to make note that we shouldn't all be pressing everyone to protest or riot. Not everybody has that physical privilege either. We have a lot of different bodies. (laughs) Some bodies cannot physically walk. Some bodies cannot physically give money. Um, We're not in a place where not everybody has a lot of extra money to spend, probably especially right now. But if you do have extra money and you feel pressed to um, seek out organizations like Black Lives Matter to point you in the direction of where to put your money. Um, I, I don't need to be the one telling you where to put your money because I'm not at the forefront. So we need to look to people like the women that started Black Lives Matter. They have great resources on their website where you can put your money. Um, Google, what are some organizations I can donate to? There's a wonderful organization called um, TGIJP, trans, gender maybe, TG, um, intersex, Justice Project, and this is a great group that they actually write to women, trans women in male prisons, and become family to them, people that don't have anyone, and then they help them when they get out. They help educate them to become politicized, to become activists, to seek education, to better themselves so they don't get put back in the cycle, right? Like if you don't have someone helping you stand, it's yeah. often hard to stand on your own so finding groups like that um we need to focus on the margins of our society i think right now on the margins of our community um i think a lot of people like to think of the lgbtqia as one love everybody loves each other but there is a lot of transphobia um racism that is not obvious to people that don't experience it so I need to use my voice to make other people aware of it so that those people don't continue to die, ultimately.
0: It's really remarkable because, well, first of all, I think that the message there that's so so worth echoing, Shelby, is you may not be able to do everything or you may not be able to do one thing specifically, but everybody can do something. So if you can't donate, educate. If you can't educate, protest. If you can't protest, so everybody do something. And the, the common thread again is do your research, make sure that the people that you're giving money to is the right charity and make sure that the way you're educating yourself is right. So do your research. It's also, remarkable you
1: who you're buying products from. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of cap in our capitalist society. Everybody's jumping on this BLM black lives matter, making t-shirts, hats, stuff, yeah. Let's make sure we're buying from the right people and we're not buying yep. from people that are just jumping on the bandwagon because your point to be going to their mortgage instead of actually helping people. So, sure. yeah, research where you're buying your products from.
0: And um, and it's not always obvious, right? For for years, you know, we would buy Pride merchandise and I would have to seek out like is this company, if I follow it up, owned by a parent company that gave money to to resist Prop 8 or, or whatever the situation? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So definitely, you definitely want to do your research there. And good good point on the capitalism. Um, I think it's it's also important to shine a light one more time on the fact that inside every disenfranchised community that have been suffering from the cyclical nature of what we've been talking about with injustice and equality, repression mm-hmm. and shame, uprising and protest there's literally still people on the fringe that inside that community, they're like, yes, oh, but not you, because you're gay and black. We're not interested in the gay and black. Or yes, oh, but you're trans. We're not interested in the trans. We're just fighting for the gay. It's it's really kind of disheartening. And so let's, as a community, shine a light on that. And, and somebody pointed out, who has it? Elaine Davidson, uh, lifting up people that are stomped onto the bottom so we all rise up is the best line ever. Like that's, that's, that's a really, really powerful thing because you want to think that everybody inside this community, I hate to say this, but are like unjustly persecuted in the same manner, but they're not. They're not only maybe dis, disproportionately attacked by society at large, but they're also maybe not even welcomed by the disenfranchised group that they're in.
1: Right, because, and I, oh. and I know we're running out of time, but I, okay. that comes down to um, gay people are fighting this heteronormative, may, you know, man and woman relationship. But I think a lot of times in our community, there's a homonormative where we try to mirror heterosexuality, whereas there's like a, you know, I get asked, who's the man and who's the woman? What? That's don't ask me that. That's, That's so rude. So I think a lot of the hate that comes towards people on the fringes is because those people on the fringes are bucking the whole system. Mm-hmm. F heteronormity, f homonormity. We're gonna do our own thing. Um So we need. I don't know where I'm going with that. Whatever. Well,
0: I, I I I think I know exactly where you're going with that. It makes uh it doesn't justify it it doesn't make it any less sort of unfortunate but i see what you're saying right like there's a heteronormative and then there's sort of a homonormative to be like hey listen we just kind of got some of these rights let's not upturn everything let's let's not make this a big thing because we're just now kind of getting settled into a place of uh homonormative and now you're coming along and you're like well i was born and assigned a man, but I want to be a woman. No, 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 no. Like, I don't have time for it. So.
1: We can't be like the poster child of gayness. As I love modern family, but the gay men in modern family with their little adopted daughter.
0: Yeah. That's
1: the idea of homonormative to me. Sure. It's perfectly with white middle-class America. Um, it's safe. It's nice. It's pretty. They have a nice decorated home and a wonderful little child they adopted. That's wonderful. That cannot be the poster child, though, because they're not the ones that are bloodied and blah, blah, blah. Sure. We have, yeah. We have to focus on the people that don't look like that and don't get shown on TV in nice little sitcoms.
0: It, uh, the really interesting thing that's developed here, Shelby, is there is a... Um... There is a common thread amongst your narrative, both personally, the LGBTQIA riots and protests and fight for equality, the Black Lives Matter fight for equality, and then even sort of inside these um, disenfranchised groups. And that's that you have to keep digging deeper to make sure that you're seeing things at sort of the granular level, right? Um, and I think that's important. And I think that's. We've just scratched the surface of that, but I think that's what is necessary is there has to be sort of a deep dig. Um, I thought about this this morning, you know, in common practice in business, people talk about deep dives all the time. Okay, I'm going to take a look at this. I'm going to do a deep dive in it, which means you're sort of start trying to up, like figure out what's at the root of it. But for me, the the issue I have with a deep dive is you jump from a high place, gravity takes over and you get to like hit deep it's not how this works. This is like a deep dig and you got to bring a big mother effing shovel or you got to bring a hundred thousand people with tiny little shovels all digging together because it's not until we do what you're doing and that's like not accepting what's easy at the surface. You have to, you have to dig deeper and, and figure out what's at its core and what's what's in the details. Um, I think that's what's happening now i think it's going to take a long time um but i think conversations like this and the conversations that are going online i'm so encouraged sometimes i'm so disheartened other times i'm so very encouraged
1: yes and i am so encouraged right now and i want us to not think about this time as a dumpster fire Mm -hmm. i'm seeing that a lot and i get it we Obviously, everybody wants to be able to hang out with their friends, do all these things, not have a curfew, blah, blah, blah. I think, though, this time in history is going to be in the history books. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for this time right now. I know a lot of people are hurting, but I'm not ready for this to be just, okay, let's forget about it. The news vans are gone. We've already bought our Black Lives Matter swag. Um, We've posted our little black square. This needs to, we have to continue on when the news moves on to something else. The m- news has already moved on from COVID over two and a half months of watching it. COVID's not over, though. The news is going to move on from this onto whatever next, you know, cycle they have. We cannot f- forget that this is going on right now, and we cannot hope that it's just going to be done. Yeah. We have to continue to do things, whatever you're physically, uh, mentally, um, financially able to do. It's not going to all look the same for everyone. Um, but yes, I want us to stop pushing this mindset of, oh, can't wait for all this to be over. I'm ready for normal life. I'm ready to see puppy pictures and ba- people's baby showers and blah, blah, blah. Yes, those things are wonderful. I love seeing dog pictures. and. But we... This time is I think very important. And I think, I it's think you become even more important.
0: So I we- love the fact you are one of the only people in ni- in ninety days. You're one of the only people that has said to me, I'm thankful for this time. And I think it's worth marinating on for a second, Shelby. Like it is hard to think about everything we're going through, the loss of life, the <laughs> political upheaval, the social upheaval. But in actuality, to sit down for a minute and look at what's going on and what the hopeful benefit will be long term, it's much easier to look at it and say, I'm thankful for this time as well. Um,
1: And I know people are, businesses are hurting. That breaks my heart. Uh, I think that is awful. and people are fighting, people are arguing and some of the arguments are stupid and I've read them and they're ignorant and they sound backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I implore you to don't argue with someone unless you are, you know what you're talking about and you can say it in a way that's not just going to be um, stupid sounding, I guess. I don't know. Shouting,
0: yeah. Yeah. Shouting and, and, and reactive. I've seen a lot of reactive comments and you're like, that's not gonna benefit anybody. Nobody's, like, gonna, nobody's gonna teach the other one.
1: Think a second before we write something back. Yeah. Just a second. Just let's think. Maybe we can write something that maybe they won't respond to, but someone else will see it and be like, that's a well written sentence. I didn't think about it that way. Um,
0: that's uh, taking well, the one, two, three, deep breath.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Think for a second. Um,
0: or do your research and come back. I mean, that's the other thread that you've kind of keep pulling at, right? Like, do your research and come back. And, and, and sort of, if you're going to try to refute an argument, do so intelligently and with education. There's one thing we didn't touch on, Shelby, that I think is so important.
1: Oh, no. I'm sorry. What?
0: Don't be silly. And don't apologize. There's that humility again. You're amazing. Uh, we have a couple more minutes. Uh, I think it's important that we educate everybody on how important it is to vote how important it is to become civilly-minded.
1: Yes, freaking vote. It's not, it, I mean, go. vote. It,
0: <laughs> it, it's the one thing we have to do, and one of the things that I have learned in my too many years now, I'm not even gonna say how many my too many years now as I feel older, is that it's it's so important to become educated and decisive about local elections. Yes. Obviously the occupant of the White House is a very important decision and you should carefully analyze it and you should cast your vote there. Same thing with Congress, but it's your city councils, it's your judges, it's, it's people in your local community that will give you the opportunity to actually cast a vote that will make a change at your local level um, in your actual life.
1: Yes, and if you have a friend that doesn't have a car, that's why they're not voting, Drive them to vote. We have to open – we have to make it easier for people to vote. That's a whole nother. thing. It's a
0: whole nother talk, but you're right. 100%. A hundred
1: percent About a lot of things. But, yes, you have to vote. I don't know if anybody watched – I mean, obviously, I'm a huge RuPaul, RuPaul Charles fan. Um yep. know the first three. But the whole theme of this season, um, season – is it thirteen, twelve? Um, has been vote. Like every episode, they end with a sign that's like "vote, vote." Um, awesome. Yeah, yes, vote,
0: vote. It, and and you 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 bring up a great point here. I was talking about the ideology of voting and being informed in the local level. There are so many people in our community, typically again poor, disenfranchised people of color, LGBTQIA plus, find a way to help those people vote.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. make sure that they have every opportunity to go and judy points out judy phillips i love you judy we love you uh so important even if it takes hours and even if you have to wait in line and i know with covid if it's back and i know texas supreme court passed that we won't be able to do mail-in voting mm-hmm. put your mask on put your gloves on bring your AirPods. pods and even if you're in a situation try to do the early voting that will obviously make it the easiest but 100 percent don't allow them or anyone to take the right away from you to cast your vote to make a change.
1: Yep. Amen. All right.
0: Anything else? Do you want to? You you finish up. What last words do you have for our guests? Anything?
1: Uh. uh hmm. Thank you for watching. Thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, thanks for staying on, even though. Oh uh, yeah, I think I I'm about to beat Chris Harmon's record of. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all went over an hour. I, ooh, no, it's close. It's about the We're same. now
0: hour and fifteen. You know, it's funny. I I used to say, well, you know, it'll be thirty, forty five minutes. Now I routinely say it'll be between an hour and an hour and a half, and I'm not going to apologize for it. It's it's information that people want to hear. We've had twenty people routinely kind of uh, sitting in, and we've had lots and lots of comments. So um, I think your narrative. Um, touch people in their heart. And I think the knowledge and the experience and the research you brought brought touched them in the head and made sure that they could both understand and feel um, what's going on right now. And so So I can't thank you enough for your time and talent. It is just wonderful to chat with you. Uh, If you're watching and um, this has resonated with you, I encourage you to follow Shelby. She's DJ Shelby Han pretty much everywhere on the planet. That's H-A-U-N if uh this resonated with you feel free to um <laughs> i'm sorry i lost my train of thought because lance Patton just said shelby is now guilty of zoonism because of your comment about chris <laughs> you, 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 you beat chris's record i'm sorry lance this is not a black or white thing this is a who can talk for longer thing
1: um yeah well anyway, I mentioned, like me and chris went a little over and i'm like I uh, hope I even have enough to say to fill an hour, but you're so easy to talk to. Yeah, we could awesome. easily go probably another couple hours and go off onto more tangents. but.
0: hundred um. percent. And so all that tells me, Shelby, is, is we'll be doing this again. You and I will find another topic on which we can espouse much great knowledge. Um, so if this resonated with you all, thank you uh, for sharing it. Feel free. Make sure other people see it and watch it. If you have questions, you can reach out to me. I'm available on all the social media as well. Um, anything else Shelby?
1: Yeah no I just want to um, raise up our black trans sisters and I want you to do your research and know their history and um, yeah we can't continue the hate against them so I wanted to yeah just bring that up with pride. We can be proud but we also still need to be angry I think.
0: (laughs) What an amazing way to end. We can be proud and angry. Thank you Shelby. I appreciate you so much.
1: Oh, thanks, Don. Appreciate you, too.